Our scripture reading today will be from Psalm 24. So if you would turn your Bibles to Psalm 24 and we'll read the first six verses of this psalm as we prepare to continue our study through the Beatitudes today. Psalm 24, beginning in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Let's pray. Our Lord, we come to you today asking that we would be able to see your face asking that you would reveal yourself today to us through your word. I pray today as we consider what it means to have a pure heart and what it means to see you, that you would make known to us the ways in which our heart is not pure. Ways in which we must be pursuing purity within. Lord, we do have hope as we are going to see that because you have revealed yourself to us, because you have through Christ given us access to you, we are able to have pure hearts. We are able to live in a way that is pleasing to you. And I pray that for all of us here, that would be our purpose and our goal. That we would see you, that we would please you. I pray that you would work in our hearts to that end today as we open your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 5. We are continuing our study through the Beatitudes, through the Sermon on the Mount. We're still in these first verses which are known as the Beatitudes. Here at the beginning of Matthew 5, we have now reached verse 8. And in this Beatitude, Jesus tells those disciples who he was teaching on the mountain, the blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to begin our study in this verse today by kind of working backwards, starting with the last part first, then going to the first part, and then moving back to the to the last half of of this beatitude. And I want to begin by considering what Scripture has to say about this relationship between our hearts, the purity of our hearts, and seeing God. Or as we'll also see, God seeing us. Over and over again, as we look at Scripture, 
this theme keeps coming up of our hearts and, and seeing, whether it's our seeing God or God seeing us. So I want, to, I want us to walk through some of these scriptures here as we kind of introduce this idea of purity of heart and seeing God. You see, from the moment of creation, the moment of man's creation, he had intimate fellowship with his creator. The first man and first woman had unbroken fellowship with their creator, with God. We know from Genesis that God would come every day in fellowship with his creation. He would walk in the garden in unbroken relationship with them. But once sin entered the world, that fellowship was shattered. That relationship, that intimacy that man and woman had with God was broken. Instead of having sweet fellowship with God, man's relationship now was one of brokenness. Man hid himself from God. We read in Genesis 3, verse 7, immediately after the first sin, that the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And so the pattern goes throughout Scripture. Those who are sinful hid themselves from God. Those who are sinful were prevented by God himself from seeing him. Sin had cut off that fellowship. Access to God was now limited. Man could not just see God anytime he pleased. God did not reveal himself in the same way that he had at the very beginning. That fellowship, that relationship was broken by sin. But God provided a means by which the people could atone for those sins. God provided access through a mediator, a priest, who would offer on an altar a sacrifice, which would, offer, which would make atonement for their sins, for the sins of the people. But still, even, even in that system, access to God was limited for those who were, who were his people. It had to be done through the priest. In fact, there were dramatic results that we see described when people would see God or attempt to see God. Let me read a few passages which show us this relationship between people now in a fallen state, in sin, and a holy God who is entirely separate from us. Notice the relationship between the sinful people and God seeing them, or the people seeing God. Exodus 19, 21, this is just prior to God's giving the Ten Commandments and the law to his people. The Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. So there was punishment, punishment by death for a fallen human being who would dare to look at God, to see God's holiness. Man could not live in the sight of God's holiness. Leviticus 16, verse 2, describing the day of atonement. Again, God speaking to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place, inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die, for I will appear in the cloud 
over the mercy seat. So we see, again, access to God, access to the sight of God was limited. And then Isaiah 6. Isaiah has this vision of God. He sees God. You know the passage well. He sees God as he describes high and lifted up. And the angels are are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. What is Isaiah's response when he sees God in all of his glory there in the temple? He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim come and and takes a coal and, and purifies his lips, cleanses him from his sin. But what we see over and over again, and we could, we could read passages all day, which talk about sinful man seeing God and immediately seeing their sinfulness. Or because of their sinfulness, not being able to see God, not being able to come into the presence of God. So there's this continual theme throughout, especially the Old Testament, where sin, the sinful state of man's heart, prevented him from seeing God and had dramatic effects when those who are sinful actually did see God. In our verse here in Matthew 5, in this beatitude, Jesus talks about seeing God as being a blessing, however. He says the blessed one will see God. But that certainly wasn't always the case as we've just seen. And Jesus himself places a condition upon those who would be blessed by seeing God. It's only those who are pure in heart who can see God. It's only those who are pure in heart that will see God. And it's only those who are pure in heart for whom seeing God is a blessing. But I think interestingly enough, what we find is we again can consider other scriptures and and the whole teaching of scripture is that it's only by seeing God that we are able to have pure hearts. In order for seeing God to be a blessing for, for you, in order for seeing God to be a blessing for me, we must first recognize that seeing God is a curse because of our sin. But at the same time, finding in Him the one who is only the true one to purify our hearts. Let me say that again. In order for seeing God to be a blessing for us, as Jesus describes, we must first recognize that seeing God is a curse because of our sin, yet finding in Him the only one who is truly able to purify our hearts. David cries out in Psalm 51, after his sin was pointed out to him, the wickedness of his own heart was pointed out by the prophet Nathan. David cries out to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
And so for one to come to have a pure heart, that person must first see God as holy and see his own sin as an offense to that holy God. Before seeing God can be a blessing, seeing God must provide for us conviction of sin. It will provide conviction of sin in our fallen state. And as we adopt the attitude and and heart of David as he records in the psalm that we cry out to that God who sees us in our sin. We cry out to Him to purify our hearts, to cleanse us, to wash us from that sin. So I say, to kind of reverse the order of this beatitude, similarly to what we did last week, where we saw that only those who have first received mercy are truly merciful, and then receive mercy. Here I say again that only those who have seen God in His holiness have come to reckon with their sin in light of that holiness are those who are able to have a pure heart and thereby continue seeing God and fellowshipping with Him. So before we go any further, before we look specifically at what it means to have a pure heart, I want us to ask ourselves the question, what is the heart? What is it that Jesus is talking about when He talks about our heart? According to Scripture, the heart is that which defines our very nature. It's who we are at our core, that which produces our actions. Our heart is that which is us internally, out of which we act and live and behave. Jesus states this himself later in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Matthew fifteen eighteen, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. He gives this response and he gives this statement in response to those who who ask him why his disciples eat with unwashed hands. How are they able, why 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 is he allowing them to defile themselves by eating that which is unclean? And he tells them it's not what comes in from outside that defiles us, it's what's inside of us that defiles us. It's from what is inside of us, out of that comes our behavior. Out of that comes our actions. Out of that comes our sinfulness. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 describes our hearts as deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It's clear from these verses as Jesus talks about the heart that what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the heart is much more than a set of external behaviors. What we're going to see when we talk about what it means to be pure is so much more than simply behaving in a way outwardly that is pure. It goes deeper than that. It goes inside of us. It goes to the very core of who we are. We're dealing with much more than external, external behavior. We're dealing with the root of that behavior which dwells in our heart. You see, everything that we do out, outwardly, everything that we do that people see comes from what's within us. 
this will be foundational to some of the things that we're going to look at later on in the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus will talk about those who don't do something outwardly. You don't kill. You don't commit adultery. But yet, the attitude of your heart is still wicked and sinful. You still violate the law because of the sinfulness of your heart. Jesus' point throughout this sermon will be, and the point of the scripture we're looking at today, Jesus' point here is that God desires people that are pure inwardly, not simply people that conform to an external standard of righteousness. God desires people that are clean inwardly, pure in heart, rather than people that just conform to a list of of acceptable behaviors that we as a church would define or Christians in general would define. You see, this was the problem Jesus dealt with as he talked to the Pharisees. He tells them in Luke eleven, thirty-nine, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? You see, the Pharisees were all about external conformity. They were all about doing things that appeared to be righteous to those who looked at them. They were so, in fact, committed to keeping the law that they added extra standards of righteousness to that, just as, just as a safeguard so that they wouldn't break the law. But unfortunately, those extra standards of righteousness that they defined became their own measure of, of what pleased God. And so they became obsessed with their external behavior conforming to those standards of righteousness, and they, yet their heart was, was empty. Their heart was still wicked. Their heart was not following after God. God desires people who are clean inwardly. I understand the two go together, but God would rather have us be clean inwardly, to have obedience in our hearts than some external behavior of obedience. Again, I know the two go together. We obey outwardly when we are obeying inwardly. But God makes it clear. One specific place that he makes this clear is in 1 Samuel 15, where Saul disobeys God's commandment. And God asks him the question, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. God is telling him, Saul, what's going on inside your heart is more important than some sacrifice that you're going to offer. I'm concerned about your heart. And it's here I believe that we are confronted with our problem. Because, you see, we can please God outwardly to some extent if we if we did good things, at least in our, our minds, we could please God. We, you know, we could do lots of good things that look righteous, that look like they please God. We could do that to some extent. But we are judged by God not on the basis of what we do outwardly. But we are judged by what the condition of our heart is. Is our heart pure? And in, our, in ourselves... Man does not have the ability to change the condition of his heart. 
in our own ability, we do not have the ability to clean up our heart, to, to wash our heart free from sin. So this is our problem. So again, we come to the fact that we must see God with eyes of faith. Eyes of faith that produce repentance in our hearts if we have any hope of having a pure heart. We must come to see God as holy. We must come to see ourselves as having broken His law. And then come to Him in repentance for those sins, pleading with Him to wash us clean. Not to change our behavior, but first and foremost to wash our hearts, to cleanse our hearts from our sin. Producing a pure heart is the work of God. I hope we get that. Producing a pure heart is not something that we do by ourselves. Producing a pure heart is something God and only God can do. You see, our hearts are beyond simply needing minor repair. Our hearts need more than just some touch-up work. Our hearts need to be completely overhauled. Our hearts need to be completely replaced. We need a heart transplant. This is the work of God. And I think this is also why it's, it's important that we as members of this body, as we, we as members of the body of Christ, as we gather, as we meet, as we interact with one another, we must demonstrate transparency with one another. If what God wants to change in us is our hearts, we've got to be willing to be transparent with one another and allow each other to minister and speak truth into our lives so that God can get to our heart. Yes, I realize God can do this work just between us and Him. And ultimately it is between us and Him. But He has also called all of us together to serve one another in this way. Therefore, we must be open and honest with each other, allowing God to work at the heart level through each other. So what does a pure heart look like? We kind of defined what we mean by the heart, that is what is going on internally. What does a pure heart look like? But before we get into defining this, I want, I want us to remember and be clear on the fact that ultimately none of us is going to have a, a pure heart this side of seeing Christ face to face, which we'll get to later on. But all of us who are following Christ should have a measure of growth in this area of purity in our hearts. We should all see increasing growth, increasing purity in our heart. This should be what we pursue as a follower of Christ. We shouldn't just throw up our hands and say, I'm not, I'm not going to have a pure heart until the day God calls me home. Therefore, I'm just going to try to master the externals at this point. No, God wants to deal with our hearts now. And all of us should experience a measure of growth in this area. And I hope, it, I hope that's the case. And I hope that if we find ourselves falling short of that, we will do exactly what we just talked about. We will go back to 
to God, fall on our faces in, in repentance for sin and asking him to continue to purify our hearts so that we can consistently experience this kind of steady growth. So what does a pure heart look like? I want to kind of sum it up in a, in a couple, couple ways. First of all, a pure heart is free from sin. A pure heart is free from sin. This is probably the first and most obvious thing we think of when we think about a pure heart, right? A pure heart is one that doesn't sin. A pure heart is one in which there is no rebellion against God. To be pure is to be clean, and to be clean is without sin. So therefore, a pure heart is free from sin. The fundamental result of man's fall into sin that we talked about earlier, the fundamental result of that is the corruption of man's heart. And so now, we are not sinners simply because we sin. But we sin because we are sinners. We are sinners in our hearts. Therefore, we sin. That's what Jesus talked about. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart comes sinful actions. We sin outwardly because we are sinners in our heart. Again, this is our problem. Because Jesus is talking about someone who is pure in heart. We are people who have impure hearts. Who have sinful hearts. But that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that it does not just clean us up on the outside. The gospel does not just provide us a set of standards of righteousness that we can obey. And if we obey, these standards of righteousness will be righteous. The good news of the gospel is that it thoroughly cleanses us from within. This is what God promised when He talked about instituting the new covenant. He talked about giving His people a new covenant. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will, will remember their sin no more. This is such great news for us. This is exactly what we need. We need for God to do a transformational work within our hearts. We need for God to write His law on our hearts. Thereby giving us the ability to obey that law from the heart. Not merely conforming to the law outwardly. But following and obeying that law inwardly from the heart. I want to apply this aspect of heart purity to us in a couple ways, kind of looking at it from opposite perspectives. A pure heart is free from sin. There might be some here who would say, if a pure heart is a heart that's free from sin, I am the, the furthest from, being, from having a pure heart because I am constantly reminded and aware of my sinfulness. And it seems like I constantly fail over and over again. So there, there is no hope for me to ever have a pure heart. 
Maybe there's someone who sitting, that, sitting there right now says that. Because I am constantly finding myself falling into sin, I am a long way away from having a pure heart if having a pure heart means being free from sin. And to that person, I would say, if you are trusting in the God who has provided a new covenant given through Jesus, and you are trusting Him in faith and repentance for the forgiveness of sins, then you are objectively pure in heart. You stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. God views you as pure through Christ. Now, does that mean that we no longer struggle with sin? Of course not. But that does mean that we objectively do have a pure heart. And therefore, we are continuing to depend upon God to produce more and more of that in our daily living. We want God to make it so that we, on a regular basis, are living out the purity of our heart. Looking at it from kind of the opposite perspective. Maybe there's someone here who would say that because I am objectively pure before God, because God sees me in clothed in the righteousness of Christ, therefore I don't have to take my pursuit of holiness and purity seriously. After all, God, God sees me as pure. I am saved I am on my way to heaven. I won't be pure fully until that day anyway. So we, we are tempted to take sin less seriously than we should. We're tempted to be casual in our battle to fight sin in our daily experience. And again, I would say to that person that we must continue to take sin seriously because even though we are object our hearts are objectively pure as we stand before God even right now as a believer as one who has been washed in the blood of Christ we must still pursue holiness in our daily experience we must still strive for obedience and this is the great promise of the new covenant that God gives us the ability to do that God gives us the ability to pursue holiness. The battle should not discourage us. The fact that we fight sin should not discourage us. This is what we should expect. But it should lead us to continually run to the one who daily is able to purify our hearts. The one who has promised that though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. In Christ, our hearts are objectively pure from sin. And because of the new covenant, we have the ability to experience that on a daily basis, freedom from sin. And I pray that for, for, for those of us in Christ today, as we are pursuing righteousness, as we are battling sin, our testimony would be one of increasing victory over sin, increasing conformity to the image of, of Jesus Christ, increasing purity in heart. Not just an outward conformity 
not just a outward obedience to a set of expectations, but a work that is being done internally as we depend and look to the one who has promised to cleanse us from our sin. So a pure heart is free from sin, but also a pure heart has an undivided allegiance. Scripture contrasts purity of heart with the worship of idols. A pure heart doesn't worship idols. Let me give you one example of this. Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. As a person who claims to follow Christ, and yet worships idols, whatever those idols are, whatever those things are that we pursue apart from Christ, you can't worship both of those. You can't worship Christ and then worship the things that we pursue every day of our life. That's the definition of a divided heart. One who seeks to worship God and yet seeks to worship everything else that we're pursuing here. To truly be a follower of Christ, we must give our allegiance to Him, rejecting all other idols that would that would tempt us to worship them. We must reject all those things that oppose Him, giving our full allegiance to Christ. Again, this is where the the power of the gospel is able to free us. You see, the natural bent of our heart is towards serving ourselves, toward worshiping our own satisfaction, to pursue that, and to find it in everything apart from God. Our natural bent is to act in our own best interest in whatever it is we're doing. That, that's where our heart naturally goes. That's the way our heart naturally responds. I'm going to do what I want to do, whatever makes me happy. But again, the gospel provides, provides for us the ability to not obey the bent of our heart. Because in the gospel, we are given a new heart. When we study through the book of James, we study this verse, James 4, 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. A pure heart treasures Christ above all else and acts according to the interests of Christ, pursues His interests above our own. For example, to go back to the beatitude we looked at last week, a pure heart is merciful to others, not because we will be recognized for our acts of mercy, not because we are going to get something back because we are merciful to someone. A pure heart is merciful because Christ is merciful, and a pure heart is conformed into the image of Christ. So the question we must ask ourselves in evaluating whether or not we have a pure heart is this. Do I treasure what Christ treasures? Is my heart, have have I given my heart in full allegiance to Christ? Am I pursuing Him 
with all of my strength? Or am I pursuing my own interests? Do I have a divided allegiance? A pure heart has an undivided allegiance. A pure heart is wholly following after Christ. And one in whom God is cultivating a pure heart is one who is increasingly following after Christ. Never perfectly, never as well as we would like, but God will continue to cultivate in us that pure heart as we continue to come before Him in faith and repentance. So we have looked at the relationship between our sinful hearts and seeing God. We've defined what we, what we mean by heart. We've talked about what a pure heart looks like. And now I want us to see that the one with a pure heart is blessed by seeing God. After all, that's what Jesus says in this beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The one with a pure heart is blessed by seeing God. I stated earlier that only those who recognize how God sees them, that is, only those who recognize that God is holy and hates our sin, repents of that sin and receives the blessing of access to God. The gospel has provided for us access to God. Those who will repent of their sins are those that have access to God through Christ. This blessing is beautifully stated by the the psalmist David in the psalm we read earlier. Let me read a few of those verses again. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? This is who. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You see, what's so neat about this beatitude is the blessing that is provided for those who have a pure heart is the fulfillment of that which that pure heart is pursuing. We just talked about that. A pure heart is one who pursues Christ. Who who pursues God. And what is it that that person who is pursuing those things receives? They see God. Someone with a heart that is free from sin and has an undivided allegiance will be the one who is pursuing God. So here in this beatitude, Jesus promises, essentially, you will receive that which you are pursuing. You who are pursuing God, you will see God. What are the benefits of seeing God? Why is, it, why is seeing God a blessing? Let's consider a few answers to this question. How is seeing God a blessing? First of all, 
through the intimacy and fellowship that we now have with God again through Christ. The fellowship of seeing God, of knowing God. Through that, we experience sanctification. Philippians 3, 18. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We, as believers, as we look at God, as we look at Him through His Word, by the Spirit are being conformed into the image of Christ. Seeing God, through seeing God, we experience sanctification. And in a way, this is what happens simply in human nature. That which we admire, that which we observe, we tend to conform to, isn't it? The one who we look up to, the one who we admire their behavior, we will have a tendency to conform to that behavior. We will have a, a, a tendency to conform to that person, to their way of thinking, to, to their way of living. And we as people that have been freed by the gospel, we are able, we don't have to observe others who will fail us. We have the ability to observe the one who is holy. The greatest standard of holiness that we have to see as we look on Him, we are conformed into His image by the work of the Spirit. Secondly, why is it a blessing to see God? Seeing God fuels our heart of faith. A heart that sees God and has been transformed by Him is a heart that trusts God and moves forward in dependence upon Him. One who has seen God and has been transformed by Him in the heart is one that will move forward in faith and dependence upon Him. So our, our fellowship with God fuels our faith, fuels our life of faith. This is the essence of faith. We come to God abandoning ourselves. We come to God abandoning all of our idols. All the other things that we worship. We come to God in faith, giving our allegiance to Him. And through that, God produces in us endurance and dependence upon Him. This was certainly the case with Moses, as it's recorded in Hebrews 11. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Because of the sight that Moses had of God through eyes of faith, he was able to endure. He was able to follow after God. So seeing God is a blessing because it fuels our life of faith. Thirdly, 
By seeing God, we are filled with worship and adoration toward him. Because we are able to fully or begin to fully comprehend the greatness of his majesty. And we're able to do this in a way that others cannot. Others that don't know God cannot. You see, we are made to worship. God has made us to be worshipers. All people worship. You realize that? All people worship something. God has created us to be worshipers. And we know from Scripture, God made, a, made man and woman to worship Him. Sin has affected that, so that now our tendency is to worship other things, to worship ourselves. But God has made us to be worshipers. And people that God has rescued from sin, people that God is purifying our hearts, are able to see God in a way that others are not. We are able to be awed by God. We are able to see Him in His majesty. We are able to worship our Creator. We are able to fall down before God in worship for what He has done for us. You see, all men, all women, all creation will one day worship the Lord. And we have the privilege, by the grace of God, to worship Him as His people. To worship Him not simply for His holiness and righteousness, but we are able to worship Him because He has rescued us from our sin and has, is making us holy and making us righteous, conforming us into the image of Christ. So seeing God for us as His people is a wonderful blessing. We are able to worship Him in a way that those who do not know Him are not able to. And we are able to call those who, are not, who cannot worship Him to come and worship Him, to see Him. We are able to point them to Him because our hearts have been made pure by Him. Finally, there is great hope for us as we pursue holiness. This is the fourth benefit to seeing God. Why is, God, why is seeing God a blessing? Because as we have a vision of God, as we see God, we have hope. There is great hope for us as we pursue holiness. You see, one day we will see God fully and we will forever be changed into His image. 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. The fact that we already know that God will fully purify us when we see him fully physically with our eyes when we are in his presence in unbroken fellowship with him because we know that that is going to happen because god has promised that there's great hope for us now as we pursue holiness this should free us from the discouragement 
that we experience when we are reminded of our battle with sin. We have great hope because God will complete the work in us. And one day we will, in fact, fully be pure. And between now and then, we can have confidence that God is going to continue to work in our hearts. We come today and we'll, in a few minutes, celebrate the Lord's table. And God has graciously given us ways like this to be reminded of the work that He has done in our hearts. This is a tangible reminder for us of of what God has done in providing for us new hearts. God has given us the new covenant, and that is exactly what Jesus talked about when He instituted the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. 1 1 Corinthians 11, rather. Verses 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What is it we're remembering when we do this in remembrance of Christ? What is it that we're remembering? Well, one thing I want us to remember is that Jesus came to provide for us the new covenant. Jesus came to provide for us new hearts, pure hearts. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins. And now we have the opportunity to celebrate that. Maybe for some today, we will come primarily in repentance for sin. Maybe we need today fresh forgiveness from God because of the sinfulness of our hearts. May this time of communion together around the table be a time of renewed repentance. For times when we fall short, when we give in to our sinful lusts in rebellion to God. May this time of communion be a means by which God graciously moves us further and further into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. May this be a time that we come before Him repenting of sin, finding grace to overcome sin experientially on a daily basis. You see, this table is not limited only to the members of Grace and Truth Bible Church. This is a table, this is the Lord's table. This is a table for all of those who are following Christ, who are trusting Christ. You see, none of us have fully pure hearts. We don't come because we are fully pure. We come because we need to be worked on by the Lord. We come to remember the work that He has done objectively in the past And we come to be reminded of the work that He is continuing to do. So this table table is open for all of those who are 
right now trusting Christ as their Savior, who are living in faith and repentance for sin. And may this be a time where God bestows upon us His grace for daily living so that we can be pure in heart. And that as we are pure in heart, we have the benefit of seeing and and fellowshipping with God. And that having seen God, He continues that work of purifying our hearts. And I pray that that would be what God will accomplish through His Word. I pray that that would be what God accomplishes through our gathering around the table. So, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then, after I pray, the, the music team's going to come up. Those who are serving the elements will come. And as we are singing, if you would like to take time to spend in prayer, in reflection upon what God is, is speaking to you about, what God has done for you, do so. And then come, partake of the elements. And may it be a means of, of grace by which God continues to do this work of purifying our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your grace apart from which we would all be hopeless. Thank You for the promise that in Christ You have purified our hearts. And in Christ, by Your Spirit, You continue to purify our hearts from sin. And I pray for those of us who are believers, that You would continue to mold us and shape us, continue to reveal Yourself to us. May we continue to see You and fellowship with You. And through that, would You provide conviction of sin where it is necessary. And may we be repentant for that sin and be able to find forgiveness. And we know we will find forgiveness for that sin. For those who might be here today who are without Christ, For those who might be here that are trusting in their outward conformity, who might be trusting in their own perceived righteousness, I pray that even right now today you would give them eyes of faith to see the true condition of their heart, to see themselves as you see them. And even today that they would find forgiveness of sin as they come to you in faith and repentance. I pray that this time now around your table, this time of communion would be a sweet time for us. I pray that we would remember the work that you have done for us on the cross. And even this table will, it's where we gather at the foot of the cross, repenting of our sin and finding forgiveness. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for His exhortation to us. We thank You for the promise that is found here. 
the blessing of seeing God for those who are pure in heart. And we thank you that you are doing that work in us. And we pray that you will continue to do that work for your glory. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.